0: This week on Writers Inc.
1: I um, don't hire a team as much as I should. I I should hire a team as opposed to doing it all myself because it's not my strong suit and it um, takes a lot of time away that I could be creating. And that's where my strong suit is, is the creation.
0: Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's In. Hey, J.D., how you doing, man? Doing good. How about you? Ah, great,
2: great. Uh, uh, you know, it's it seems like the winter is slowly dying away, and uh, that's always exciting.
3: Yeah, we've got, I've got nothing outside but, like, sheets of ice everywhere. Like, our, <laughs> our driveway is, is really sloped, and, like, it's just one giant sheet of ice um, we just had some stuff that started melting and what, you know, we're renovating this house. We moved a couple of windows around on one side and one of the downspouts is like directly impacting like one of the windows. Like it's throwing, literally throwing water at the window when it, when it, when it rains. Um, so we're trying to deal with, with that. Um, I just walked out there to see what it looked like today. And like, it's just a giant frozen tundra uh, on that side of the house, but it, it's supposed to warm up. Um you know, we've got contractors running around everywhere. Everybody is sick again. seems like every time we get healthy in this house, you know, somebody brings a a new bug in, which is, is always exciting, especially with a toddler. Yeah. Um, But yeah, living the dream. Yeah. (laughs) I know you
2: always have certain projects that are in different stages and some of them, you know, you, you can't really talk about, but, uh, anything new from last week that you're working on or you can talk about this week?
3: Yeah, I wrapped up the, the latest project I've been working on with with Jim Patterson. Um, there, nothing better than getting a phone call from him telling you know telling me that we're done, <laughs> you know, that, that that he that he likes something and we're we're finished with it. Um, he, he put me through the ringer on this on this last one. I can't really go into a whole lot of detail, but you know he's he 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 knows how to crack a whip. Um, and and the, and the funny thing is, you know, like you know, a lot without going into the detail, like the the work that I did, like you know, we rewrote, rewrote the ending, you know, three four times. You know, I would have probably went with that first ending you know, and, and, and sent it in and, and he just kept pushing and kept pushing. And, and the one we ended up with is a million times better than what that first one was. Um, you know, so he's, as usual, he's right. There's a reason he's, he's James Patterson. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and I, I take away so much of that. I mean, it's, it's like, it's, literally, I, I've got like a master class going on, you know, like in real life, you know, with, with him, cause yeah. he, he picks up the phone and calls me on these things. Um, but like, I'm, I'm wrapping up the, you know, another book that I'm writing for my agent right now. And I, I went through the same thing. I just rewrote the ending for I think the third or fourth time. Um, And it keeps getting better, you know, so it's like, there's a lot to that. I mean, it it sucks to have to throw out, you know, tens of of thousands of words. Um, But in the end, you know, at least from what I've seen so far, it's been worthwhile.
2: Yeah, and I can echo that because I'm on the other side of that with you. Uh, I threw out an entire manuscript and I mean, I didn't throw it out, but I, I set it aside. and. And I think even, even as far as where I am now, I already have a better premise and a better start to this manuscript than I've had before, and I probably wouldn't have pushed myself there on my own. So I owe that to you
3: oh well i appreciate it i mean i think it helps to just have that person standing over your shoulders sometimes i mean i, I type a sentence and i you know lean back i'm like well what, what would jim say <laughs> you know and like maybe, maybe you're going through that same thing but you know just just having that that second pair of eyes you know standing over you and, and kind of grading your paper as you go it, it really does push you to, to put out your best
2: yeah and, and this is a bit of a tangent but i think it's related uh, i'm watching um the history of hip-hop on netflix and i just find it i'm not really into hip-hop but it's fascinating like i i find the stories of the artists and musicians fascinating. And there was a scene, there was a rap scene in in Houston in the, I think the early nineties. And one of the rappers was saying, you know, we didn't really care. We didn't think too much about commercial success or the audience. We just wanted to impress our friends. That's what we were trying to do. And I think writers have a little bit of that too. I I think when you're working with another writer, you really, you want to impress them. You want to, you want to try and surprise them. And I think that that can really motivate you.
3: Yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of that, and and you can get caught up, um, you know, in, in the process itself. You know, you've got a lifetime to write that first book, and maybe six months to turn out the next one, and having that pressure of a deadline on you, you know, that that's tough. My my wife is kind of going through this right now because she's got a manuscript that she's shopping, um, and her agent wants to to get a you know multi book deal, and she's like. Oh, let's just sell the one book. Like she just she doesn't want the pressure of knowing that she's got to put out a second one and having that you know a date circled on the calendar somewhere. Um, and you know you gotta wonder like is that good for your writing process or is it bad? Like I mean, does it turn you into a production line where you are cutting corners and just trying to get the product out the door? Um, I I don't know. I I think you gotta kind of find that that middle ground. I mean I'm I'm on uh, book. I think seven or eight or something at this point. Um, and and I find myself, you know, I I look at some of those dates. I know that they're hanging out there. I know there's people that are depending on me, but at the same time, you know, like I I owe this particular book to my agent at the end of uh, December, you know, we're, we're coming up on mid February at this, you know, right now. And I still haven't turned it in because I'm not hundred percent happy with it. And and I'm glad that I've held it back because it is so much better. Like if I would have had to rush it and get it out the door for that deadline, it it wouldn't be the book that it is today. So I think you you can't be afraid to make some of those decisions.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I've, I've gone in different phases in my career. And I think early on, I just wanted to rush stuff out and get it out and get ship it. And I think I'm, I'm being much more self-critical than I, than I have been before. And I I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing.
3: No, not at all. Yeah.
2: Cool. Well, you want to talk about our guest today? We got an an exciting guest, uh, Mercedes Yardley. Um, She is Known as Miss Murder, uh, a Bram Stoker winner, uh, and a, just a delightful person. Um, I don't remember if you know Mercedes from uh, the Horror Writers Association or any of those circles. Uh, have Have you ever met her?
3: I, to be honest with you, I probably have. At At you know StokerCon, we've probably you know talked, uh, but like faces and names are just kind of like a complete blur to me. Like <laughs> her name sounds very familiar, and it's a very unique name. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we sat down at, at, at some point and had a drink together, or maybe even sat at the same table. Um, but I just I, you know, I run into so many different people. I can never keep them all straight.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, understandable completely. Uh, well, we get a great interview with her. Uh, so why don't we get into that? And then when we come back on the flip side, we can talk about some of the great takeaways that came out of the conversation. OK, let's do it. All right. How's it going?
1: It's going really well. You are so happy and smiley; it makes me happy.
2: <laughs> Try to be.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'm just warning you straight up. I have no filter today, and I'm like, oh no, because I'm just saying things like crazy.
2: Perfect. Like, That's always the best for conversation, isn't it? When you have no sure, filter.
1: <laughs> sure it is. Like, um, this scorpion guy came over today because we had a, a scorpion in the house again, and um. I'm allergic to him, and uh, so he comes in and he's like, "My name's Chaz," and I just start laughing, and he's like, "What?" and I'm like, "Only douchebags are named Chaz." <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he's a very nice man.
2: <laughs> so, well, what? I have to agree with you there. I don't know too many guys named Chaz that aren't douchebags,
1: right? <laughs> he's like all trying to be super not douchebaggy, which I appreciated, but <laughs>
2: I <mean. laughs> oh, awesome. Awesome! I'm excited to talk to you uh, uh, today. I know the last, last it's been a while since we talked uh, yeah, for a for time. a different podcast, and uh, and I'm I'm really excited about the sort of taking a slightly different angle and uh, uh, and hopefully this will tie into to something you've uh, a recent accomplishment of yours that I want to talk about, which is the certificate you you recently earned oh, from yeah. the LDS Business College. So it should be a perfect tie-in. I'm really excited about Excellent. it. Excellent. But I thought. Yeah, I thought maybe we could start by uh, just kind of um, maybe you, you talking about your journey as an author, um, you know, you, you, you're very accomplished and you're a great writer, you won the Bram Stoker, take us back to like Mercedes prior to becoming a writer, like what, what were you doing, what was your life like, uh, you know, give us, give us some sense of sort of where you started.
1: Yeah. So I always wanted to be a writer. Um, When I was a little kid, I knew I wanted to be a writer and um, took writing classes and in college um, minored in creative writing. And then I got married and put all of that aside to be a responsible adult. And um, I worked at a sex offender home and then at a plasma center in order to put my husband through school. So, and I didn't write at all. And uh, then my son was born and he has um, a dual diagnosis. He has a pretty severe disability. He has Williams syndrome, which has emotional, mental things and a lot of physical issues. And then he has autism as well. So that was just, so I, um, (laughs) I worked (laughs) and took care of our our son and um, we moved to Vegas and I was just miserable. So my husband got a great job and I was able to stay home with my son because he just needed someone home. He, he, he needed to be uh, taken care of full time. And I was so sad. I was just, um, so sad in this tiny apartment in 117 degree desert weather. I hated it. I where, hate, where did
2: I you move it. from? Seattle. Oh, okay. So,
1: so we moved, I grew up in the desert, moved away from the deserts For I'd never moved back to the desert. Ran to Seattle and then we ended up, we're in Vegas and it's, you know, so hot and dry and crazy. And I'm in this little tiny apartment with this little boy that just tries to keep dying on me. And um, I started doing NaNoWriMo. I did my first NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. And I wrote this horrific story, which was so fun. And I haven't published it yet, but I'd like to go back and redo it. Um, And then I just started writing little pieces here and there and trying to sell them to magazines. I started with short stories um, and then I got, um, invited to beyond on shock totem staff. It was my first forum I ever hung out on online. I was all new to that, you know, hanging out and talking to people online, but <laughs> we were so isolated, like
0: yeah.
1: people in Vegas, it's not a friendly area. Everybody's so transient people move in and move out and I didn't really have any friends. And so my online friends were the ones that I could talk writing with and stuff. And that's kind of where that started. But yeah, I denied myself for years because I was being responsible, you know, and that was such a bad idea. (laughs) You know, I I couldn't make writing seem like a responsible business venture. It just seemed like, you know, oh, mom's going to go write her silly little stories. And that's kind of the attitude that a lot of people had, you know, you now I feel like I can be like, oh, I write. And some people are like, oh, that's great. You know, but it just was at first. I felt, you know, embarrassed that I was taking time away from, you know, therapies and all these things for my son and all this stuff to write because it, what, what was that doing for us? You know, but but really it was doing a lot for us, tons. Um, And I wrote about my son and I, I eventually would like to put out like a memoir. I have a little bit written about Williams syndrome because it's just so strange and complex and weird and. And when he was diagnosed, we were just like, what is this thing? I'd never heard of it before. And now um, it's, it's much more common. It's still bizarre, but they had like a law and order SVU episode about it and people have heard about it. And so I'd like to put that together. So like, you know, if you are diagnosed with Williams syndrome, it's like, here's a book from someone that is familiar with it. That's not a doctor because they hand you this book and you're like, I don't know what these words mean. These are big, scary medical words. And I want to be able to hand a book that's kind of like, this is your Williams syndrome primer, you yeah. know, to take the fear away. So that's something I'm working on with everything else. But
2: Nice. So how did you get from the point where you were stay at home mom, caring for this child with special needs to regularly producing words and or books? How did, how did that transition happen?
1: I, I realized that I was a better parent when I was happy. And being a writer, I could still stay at home. I could just stay at home and be on my computer with him playing at my feet. I could write during nap time. It was nice because um, I could do that at home and I realized it was making me a happier person. And it was creative and I was reaching out. and, And so I started allowing myself the time to do that and then eventually became like a need. You know, and then it was like, okay, I'm a monster if I'm not writing. This is how I'm getting out all this aggression and these trapped feelings. And I write horror. Oh, well, that's kind of you know accurate. And <laughs> and it was just, it was really helpful. And then I started to treat it more like I had the right to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, the more I started treating it kind of like with the respect that I think it deserves, and more as a business, it, I, I was able to kind of get over that. I'm just doing something, you know, silly for myself. Now it's like, no, you know what? I'm bringing in an income, as small as it may be. I'm, you know, I'm doing things to help the family. And then it was like, I gave myself the permission.
2: Yeah. So just you weird. you had yeah. so many strikes against you. Uh, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. Like a woman, uh, yes, yeah. st- staying at home with a child with special needs, and then you choose to write horror which is <laughs> which right? is like They're one like, of the most difficult like commercially viable <laughs> genre fiction there is right like you could have gone like paranormal romance or urban fantasy right. like why horror
1: you say that like i had a choice <laughs> um, <laughs> i and and i had the stigma against horror too that there i mean there's a stigma um out there about horror but I'm from like a religious background and you're supposed to pull your up by the bootstraps and you're supposed to be happy. And, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a woman of faith with a small child and I bake cookies and I'm writing about monsters that like lick out the insides of your brain. Right. <laughs> but it was also, it was really a healthy way for me to get all those constant terrors out on paper. And when I say our son was like trying to die, he just, he had heart issues. He was, um, on the dialysis floor getting different, you know, he never had dialysis. Thank you. You know, thankfully, but he had different, um, IVs they were given him and, and he just would try to die. And so I always, and I, to this day, it's a constant terror. I know one day he will die and it'll be heart related unless some freak accident happens. Um, one day he will just die and it's always over my head. I'm always under that cloud. And so It was a way for me to kind of take these feelings that I always had and channel them in a direction where maybe, you know, the heroine kicks the monster's butt this time, maybe next time she doesn't. But for now, you know, there's this, I I used it, I used it and it it helps me help me.
2: Well, you used it well, because if we, if we take a look at what you've done. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you won a very prestigious prize, uh, prize in, especially in, in the horror, uh, genre. So I'm wondering if maybe you could talk about the Bram Stoker and how that changed things for you or didn't change things for you. Because I think a lot of writers maybe fantasize about that and would like to know like, well, what's it look like on the other side?
1: You know, it did change things for me. Um, it gave me a measure of respect and validation in the eyes of other people, which is funny and and there was this absolute when I first when when I first won it there was this like wave of interviews and um different uh, you know like publicity and and that was really neat because I feel like As an author now you used to be able to just write your books But now you've got to do all the talking and the 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 interviews and, and the publicity and promotion And it's like, I spend more time or I used to spend more time doing the promotion than I swear that I did writing because that's, that's a necessary evil. Um, but people were coming to me and being like, Hey, you know, would you be on this? And, and they were, um, more prestigious panels I was inter, you know, asked to do. And, and that was really nice. And then after about three months of that, it just kind of, um, which was also nice because I was kind of exhausted, you know? And then there's that fear of like, well, will I ever ever write anything that I feel strongly about again? But I feel that way about my favorite books anyway. When I wrote Pretty Little Dead Girls and finished that, I was like, I will never write something I love so much again. And then I wrote like Apocalyptic Montessa and I'm like, I will never write anything (laughs) I love so much again. And then Little Dead Red, the one that won the soaker, As soon as I was done, I was like, I will never write. And I still haven't written anything. I love that much again. So I'm I'm working on something new, but so it was helpful because it did open doors. Mm -hmm. And the stoker is something that you have and you always have like on a bad day where it's like, you know, I can't work. I can't write. I'm not thinking like clearly like I should. Oh, I still have that stoker on my desk. Mm -hmm. They can't take that away from me, you know? And so there is that feeling of validation from others, which is nice to know that Mm -hmm. others um, respect you that way. And i feel especially like um with little dead red i feel like it was especially meaningful to me because i had just left one publisher with that story for another publisher because the first publisher went down in flames and owed everybody money and it was a big deal and they didn't do promotion and i'm not on the the inner track you see the same people all the time for the brahm stokers and i'm not one of them and and so when i got nominated i was like you know and then when i won i I didn't even have a speech prepared because I didn't expect it at all. And wow. I literally got up there and like, I don't have a speech. Thank uh, you, and uh, like gerbled off, you know? <laughs> so it was it was meaningful that others saw value in what I was doing and, and that helped. But yeah, I mean, when you win kind of a big award like that, like what what um, when I'm talking to people about it, like people that aren't familiar with it, I'm like, well, Stephen King won that award and J.K. Rowling won that award and now I won that award. And if I can, you can too, you know? <laughs> But it it is, it's, it's, you, you write for yourself always, but it's so nice to have someone else say that was meaningful to me because you just kind of sit in a room and you're like, okay, I wrote it. Does anyone read it? Does anyone care? And it's, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Tell me a little bit about how you handle the business side of things. Are you a very sort of hands-on type of person. Do you hire a team to handle some of the business administrative things? What what, Give us a sense of what that looks like.
1: Hire a team. I love that. Um, (laughs) so for a while, um, my best friend was kind of working as, um, my assistant because I would just get overwhelmed. Like, um, uh, I have so many deadlines. I don't know what to do first. And, and, and my husband, for example, is very organized and you do this and this and this. And I am like, it's like a whirlwind. I can't tell you what's my first priority. Cause I don't know. And he's like, well, obviously it's this, this, this. And I'm like, what, what's this obvious thing you're talking about? So my friend, I would, I would email her like all my deadlines and stuff. And she would put them in order of, this is what you should do first. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. You know, but business wise, that's not my strong suit. And I worked really hard and I'm still working really hard to try and wrap my head around it more. Um, I um, don't hire a team as much as I should. I, I should hire a team as opposed to doing it all myself because it's not my strong suit. And it um, takes a lot of time away that I could be creating. And that's where my strong suit is, is the creation. Um, but I do make sure that I sit down and you know I understand where the royalties are. I, I understand all that. I do have an agent that looks over all my contracts for me because I have made some terrible decisions with contracts. And now even for small contracts, I'm like, I shoot it over to her and I'm like, can you take a, take a look at this? And that's been really helpful because I'm just like, yeah, sure, whatever. And just assume that everyone's going to be as good spirited as I think they, they're going to be. And that's not the case. Um, and I've had a whole bunch of things just fall apart on the other end of people being some have been openly malicious. Some have just not dealt with their business well, and I'm. Dealing with the fallout because I didn't cover myself like I should have, because I was just like, oh, you guys, I just like you guys. And so I'm learning um why it's important. Um so I did do a class uh to learn more about business. I, I got a certificate to so I spent some hard time in class, night classes, <laughs> which tough with three kids, um <laughs> studying and learning and about how to make money, about how to be smart with my finances. Um, and, and that was a whole new ball game for me. It was like rewiring my brain. Cause that I'm not a, not a numbers person, you know? So for me to sit down and be like, okay, well, this is what I need to do. This is the output I need. This is what I need to do. This is how I, that was a huge learning curve, but I feel really accomplished about it. And it's helped me a lot. It's helped me see what I'm doing that's important to me and how much I'm doing. Cause I think that I should be doing it for other people. And how that's drawing my time and resources and creativity away from what I should really be focusing on. So here's what I should be doing. Here's what I'm doing. And I'm doing things to help others and letting my own career kind of, you know, because, you know, because I want to be nice. Mm -hmm. I want to be helpful. I I enjoy others. I want to do that. And this kind of helped me see like, you know, you should probably focus on yourself at some point. Yeah. Yeah.
2: most people really fight change and, and most people get calcified set in their ways and and especially when you have a, a family uh, it, it's very difficult to take night classes so what was the what, what was the impetus for for you deciding to register for classes like was there was it a moment was there a sort of an evolution in the process that brought you to that
1: I've been thinking about it for a while um, one of my main things is I have two girls that look to me for an example. And I was always raised that when you're an adult, you're done. Um, When you're an adult, then it's time to sacrifice yourself for your kids. And I think that's where I had that. I'm not going to, you know, when I got married, I gave up writing and were focused on, you know, working. I think that's where that came from. And I don't, i don't want my kids to ever think that when you're an adult, it's over for you. So um, that was a major thing because I was like, I need to learn how to do this. And I'm like, it's going to be hard. <laughs> it's going to be really hard. And then I looked at my girls and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this and it's going to be really hard and I need your help. But look, we can do it together. And, and honestly, I don't know if I would have done it if I didn't feel that I wanted to show them something different than what I learned. So we, we always try new things. we started painting. I started painting like last year. I started sewing quilts a couple of years ago and it, different things that I kind of wanted to do, but never did. I'm going to do them because life is short. And I don't want them to ever think, okay, well, my dreams are over now. I'm an adult because it's not that way. But yeah, so they had to, my husband would have to come home and, um, from like a super long day at work. And I always make dinner cause I stay at home and that's something I can do. I can feed us maybe not super fantastically, but that that's one of my, I chose that as one of my responsibilities. So he'd come home from work and he'd watch the three kids, of course, and he'd, you know, make dinner that night, and mom would just be gone until maybe nine thirty, sometimes ten, and and they all had to pull together. And it was it was hard for all of them. It was hard for me, but it was hard for all of them. And um, I'm glad they did that for me and were willing to make that sacrifice.
2: That's beautiful. Uh, I I have two teenagers, and uh, I've asked them to do things for me. To uh in order for me to accomplish some of my business goals and my my writing goals, do you remember what what the conversations were like with your daughters or what specifically you were asking their help with at this at this time
1: yeah i would I would say I remember saying like, okay, this is really important to mom, and I need you to do this. I need you to help Dad make dinner. I need you guys to do your homework. I'm not going to be there to help you with your homework on these nights because usually. Um, we have homework time at the table and I, I'm doing homework too. I'm doing my writing, my emails, whatever. So we're all at the table doing it together. I'm like, you're going to have to do it by yourself. You're not going to be able to text me <laughs> because that's the thing, you know, you're not going to be able to ask for help during these times. I need you to do this because it's important and because it will make me happy. Will you help me? And they're like, yeah, because they're young enough. They still want to make me happy. You know, when they're a little bit older, maybe that won't be the case, but, but it was, it was hard. Yeah. To your yeah. teenager. Do they do it well?
2: My uh, my daughter is a is my VA, and she handles all my podcast uh, post production stuff. Oh, awesome! So uh, I, I'm trying also trying to teach them that uh, you don't necessarily have to have a boss and a traditional job in order to make a living. So with little little examples here and there, yeah.
1: right? Yeah. Right. My daughter wants to be an animator, and I'm like, great, let's go for this. You yeah. know, let's do this.
2: Yeah. Well, we're both, you know, we're we're in an industry and a profession where there isn't a a 401k, there's not a a golden watch after 20 some years. Um, So have you thought about like what retirement age might look like, or are you working towards something? Or is this the kind of thing you think you'll just kind of, you just continue to be who you are until you no longer exist? I don't know.
1: I, for me, writing is such a part of who I am. And I love the creation. I think I would be miserable without it. And one of the things about writing is you don't have to stop. It's not like you're a dancer and your body's broken down and you can't do it anymore. So, um, and I'm lucky in that my husband has a, a decent job, so we're not starving, which is really nice. And I appreciate the he you know, I could go out and work again in a a more traditional job if I needed to. But he's like, no, you just write. He's like, one day a book will hit really big and I'll just be able to kick back. And (laughs) he would love to be a stay at home dad. That would just be awesome for him. I'm like, well, you keep dreaming, babe. And um, (laughs) I'll do my best. But But I want to write forever. Mm -hmm. I don't want to stop. I want to move to like a little house in the middle of nowhere with like no internet. And I want to so quilts and make soap and write books and then go into town and like send those books to my agent And then like run away again, you know, I just want That very simple lifestyle for me. That would be and we'll always have my son with this, too so, you know, it'll be a little cottage with like his own little room and maybe a washer and dryer because he loves those but I want simplicity, you know, and so I plan on writing forever. I don't and if people stop reading it That's okay. I wrote I wrote in a journal for twenty years that hopefully no one's ever read. You know, I
2: hopefully. For
1: me. <laughs> yeah, last time I read it, I was like, "Oh, geez, what were that? I- oh, your problems were so small." <laughs> you know.
2: Well, it sounds like you could almost get into a little cottage industries or, or run a B and B or, or cr- local craft work. That almost sounds like a, a different type of business interest that you might have. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm actually um, one of the things I. Was working on my degree with is opening my own store because I make things. I do. I do self. I sell quilts. I sell voodoo dolls that I hand make. You know different things like that. I would love to have like a a bunch of like tiny houses all together, and then do a writing retreat at them, where we get together and we you know have our crafts going on that we can join, but also our little you know and just do that a couple times a year. Then you know also for me, I make more money teaching. Um, Workshops and speaking and stuff that I actually do with my books—that's where the money seems to be for me, and and I enjoy that a lot. And that's nice to know that things you do can be a supplement to like fund what you love. Like my goal with um, writing, and I've reached that now, but is I want it to be entirely like self-sustaining. I don't want to have to like dip into the family fund for anything. So I feel good when I'm paying for my conferences and my flights and all of that, my books and all of that out of my own writing money. It took me a long time to, to get there because there's constantly money going out and so little coming in, you know, cause you're like, Oh, I need to do, you know, promotion. I need to business cards. And and I remember when I hit that first thing and I was like, I paid for everything all by myself. Plus I have a thousand dollars in the bank that is just writing money. And I remember that milestone and being just like, you know, it was so amazing because um, it's not a easy business. It's not a financial, financially lucrative business for most people, Yeah. you know?
2: Yeah. Awesome, well i I'd like to kind of bring the conversation uh, to a close with a last question for you, and you can kind of answer this however you want, or if you need some some more specificity, let me know. but I'm curious just what is your approach to the business of writing? What is your general uh, philosophy when it comes to business, whether it's uh, opportunities you take or opportunities you turn down? How do you what's sort of your, your mental process on that?
1: Um, family first always. So I've turned down a lot of opportunities that required a lot of travel. Um, that's just not feasible for us very often. Um, I have a deal with my husband where I go to two conferences a year. And um, next year, I'm going to Scares the Care, and I'm going to LTUE up in Utah. So I'm going back east, and I'm going in Utah. Um, this year, I didn't go to any, but I took this fantastic writing class from Karina Bissett, And so I used the money that I would have done traveling for this class. So family first. And, um, I try to write during the day when the kids aren't home because when they come home, I want to be there for them. Um, and they see me working at night. Like they, I work when they go to sleep and the, and they know it. And I think they like it. It's comforting to have mom tapping away and someone's awake in the house and stuff like that. But, um, I remind myself that I have time to do it because there is, there's so much pressure to do it all right now. Like this is your window. You need to do it now. You can't, you know, miss it. And I remember talking to uh, Mort, Mort Castle, if you know him in the horror, he just, I love him so much. And he, I was talking to him about how I felt like so stressed, like there's this tiny little window of opportunity and I'm missing it. And I'm not going to conferences because I'm home with my kids and I'm not doing these things and I'm not traveling and I'm not doing these tours. And I was just frantic and I literally had tears in my eyes. And he said, and I love this, he put his finger on my forehead and he goes, I release you from the clock. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he's like, you have time. And just, and he meant it. And He looked in my eyes and that physically touching my forehead kind of broke my spiral I was in. And that has been some of the best, the, the best advice I've ever had. I have time. If I can't do this now, I'll be able to do this later. I can write more now that my kids can get their own cups of water than when, you know, they needed me to hand them everything and to slow my role and look at it as something sustainable and not something that has to be done. That's been amazing for me. It's been good for my mental health. It's been good for the decisions I've made so I can do the things that are dear to me and not feel like, you know, missing out on everything. FOMO, that fear of missing out, you know, that's been great.
2: All right, there is the interview with Mercedes Yardley. Uh, What'd you
3: think there, JD? she had me at Scorpions. Like I was, <laughs> wait, where, where does she live? I, I think I missed that part.
2: In the where, desert. I, I think I want to say Arizona, maybe, or
3: Nevada. Okay. My wife and I, we went on vacation down in uh, Costa Rica, um, and we, were, we had this gorgeous hotel room on, on a cliff, like, overlooking the ocean. And um, we, we went in there, and then, like, up on the curtain rod in the shower, there was a scorpion just, like, hanging out. Um, and and like the hotel rooms there are weird, like the, the gaps to the front door, like there was a good inch or so at the bottom of the door. So like anything could get in or out. Um, you know, but like me, you know, we, we, walk into the bathroom, we see a scorpion there and we're not quite sure what to do with that, you know, cause I, I don't know what's poisonous, what's not poisonous. I have got no clue. Um, so we, we called the front desk and they sent somebody in to, um, to take care of it. And he came like this little short guy came in with a broom and like, you know, just batted it off the top of the shower and <laughs> got it outside. And he, and he's like, Oh, this is nothing. They come in all the time. They're harmless unless you bother them. And he's like, I just got a monkey out of another room like 10 minutes ago. So. Yeah. So anyway, she had, she had a scorpion. Um, <laughs> it, 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 she, she seems very laid back. Like I, I'm like the exact opposite. I think of her, I'm like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I am wound so tight, like all the time. <laughs> and, and she sounds like she's just kind of, you know, kind of going through the flow. I mean, she's got three kids. One of them's, you know, got issues and, you know, she just kind of rolls with it and, and does her thing. And like, I, I am so envious of people that are like that.
2: Yeah. She's, she's really, uh, uh, she's a really strong person. Like I, I think I, I really got that out of, out of the conversation. I mean, she uses writing as an emotional outlet a, as uh, a catharsis, but she's had some tough things to deal with, especially with her kids. And, and I think we can all appreciate it. If you're a parent, like, you know how hard it is to stay focused on your craft or on your business when, when you have issues with your kids. And, and so her ability to kind of work through that and, and to still be productive and successful is, is uh, inspirational.
3: Yeah, it's kind of like she keeps getting punched in the gut and then just gets right back up yeah. again and that's that's really cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh and she, you know, she puts her family first, but yet she's uh she's also a very successful author. So uh, hopefully our our listeners got uh, a lot of great uh takeaways out of that and uh I really enjoyed the interview with Mercedes. So
3: yeah, and you know one of the other things that I'm getting out of a lot of these interviews is you know every author that we've talked to, you know, especially the, uh, successful ones, they've all got that support system out there. Their family is behind them and and willing to to do whatever they can to give them that you know couple hours every night to write. You know, like in her case, her husband cooked dinner, took care of the kids, let her lock herself in a room somewhere to, to work on her book. Um, you know, Dean Coons, like his wife um, supported him for five years at the very beginning. Um, you know, like if you talk to any of these, these authors, you know, the ones that have been around for a while, they, they've got somebody that's in their corner that that's that's batting for them.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And and, and I think we all need that at one point or another. So, yep, cool. Well, uh, next week, our guest is somebody that uh, you were able to get on the show, uh, has sort of been a writing hero of mine for a long time. We have Mr. Chuck Polinick next week.
3: Chuck is awesome, um, and I, I was kind of surprised that, that he actually said yes, but he's, he's one of my, my writing heroes as well. I mean, he's, he's been around for a while. Um, he's got some fantastic books out there, which I'm sure we'll get into in the interview, uh, but he's just a, a big supporter of other writers. Like I, I know he belongs to a, a local writers group, and he's you know always helping out the, the people around him um, at writers' conferences if he happens to be there. I mean, he's one of those guys. Um, he's got a fantastic blog. Um, which every every writer out there should definitely follow. Um, So I'm really looking forward to hear what he's got to say.
2: Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I I don't know if it's serendipity or what, but uh, he just put out a new book on writing and I was reading it and, uh, and finished it like, I don't know, a day or two before you sent the email and said, Hey, we can get him on the show. So I was like, perfect. I, you know, I I think too, you know uh, um, for a fiction writer who also has books on writing, if, if, you know he wrote fight club and that's that's sort of what uh, most people know him from but his writing books are outstanding so i think it's going to be a great conversation
3: yeah and that book in particular if you've never read the book and you've only seen the movie go back and read the book it's it's not a very long one it's, it's pretty short um, but knowing the the outcome of the you know the movie like knowing you know that it's a multiple personality situation like if you go back and you read that book like the way he weaved that through the whole story like you really have no clue until you get to the end when he wants to reveal it. But, you know, he was so careful. I mean, it, you can kind of get the, I got the feeling that like M. Night when he made Sixth Sense was kind of thinking along the same lines. Yeah. Like, you know, he just, it's one of those movies you have to go back and you watch again. And you're like, oh yeah, Bruce Willis doesn't actually talk to yeah. anybody. <laughs> you know, so like you get that same kind of vibe out of Fight Club when you read that book. Um, and it, it's its one of my all-time favorites.
2: Yeah, same. I i, I say the same thing to people. Um, the movie is great, but yeah, you got to go read the book too. Yep. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode, and uh, we'll be back next week with, uh, with Chuck. So, uh, J.D., good writing to you, and I'll see you next
3: week. All right. Take care. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.